in wanting to expand, it's, it's again, it's like about being comfortable. And what I said about being on the crutch is like, yeah, I didn't need to change my diet. I didn't need to do a triathlon because guess what? Like I could go to, could have gone and just kept going to work. Like everything was fine. I go surfing on my days off. I really, you know, I was still working. I was lifting weights when I wanted to go for a jog. And, but then it's like, what isn't, is that it? Is, and I think I thought if I died tomorrow, do I want everyone to remember me for this fried chicken? I was like, no, that sucks. <laughs> well, the fried chicken's good. Okay, I haven't eaten it in a long time, but I remember it being I very bet good. I bet people, it's really good. People, people really enjoy Besides it. Besides the chicken part, I but bet I, it's really I was good. like, I don't want to be remembered for that. I feel like there's yeah. something bigger that I could be remembered for. Still, I don't know exactly what that is, but I think in 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 what I was doing, um, you know, physically. Um, both from training and, and changing the diet. And then what I was starting to kind of hone in on mentally was maybe I could help people. And that's how, you know, the Instagram started. Cause I didn't really, I used to post a picture of food occasionally and friends would be like, man, that looks great. And then they wouldn't even show up to eat it. So I just started posting pictures of the training and quickly people really gravitated to that. And, and people I didn't even know. And they found it to be inspiring or they found it like, yeah, wow, I'm going to I'm going to go work out today and and I was really I was really excited by that. Hello YT community, welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete podcast. I'm Jess and this is the very place where we share stories of people looking, finding and living their purpose. Some of us are born go-getters and others need a little more kicking in the butt to get moving, but I'm here today with two major go-getters. Actually, I'm going to throw Bubba into the mix and say I'm here with three major go-getters. I got Beach, my co-host. I got Bubba the 10-year-old pit bull, and I got our guest, Jared Simons. Jared is a plant-based Ironman triathlete and professional chef who once had a dream of going to college on a wrestling scholarship, but those dreams ended, which landed him working in a restaurant, the exact place he was meant to be. So a crushed dream sounds like a great place to start, Jared. Thanks for <laughs> having us over today. My, yes, my hopes and dreams. <laughs> That's where and, we like to welcome, jump in. welcome. Yeah, we're in uh, your beautiful home here in the canyon, and it's just, it's we've had so much rain in Southern California, it's just super green and amazing, and we are gifted the presence of Bubba, your dog, who is so badass. He just <laughs> stares is, at you. He's... He is badass. He's not that into training. Um, <laughs> no, he doesn't look like he's into training. He's more into the rest, he, the rest day. I think he just did his training. He came under the table, said, there's not enough freaking room here for me to sleep. And, then, go back to bed. and then he left. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's go back to that, that crush dream. You know what I mean? Cause I think that, you know, like I said, like I was just saying that these challenges and the ebb and the flow and the fear and the, oh my God, this is what I'm going to do with my life. And oh my, now I'm not going to do that. This is all a part of the process. It's all a part of what I consider to be like our divine blueprint that I think is always molding and changing based on our, the choices that we make. But for you being a high schooler, like, and I don't know how, how ingrained that was into your, your soul that you thought that that was what you were going to do. Well, I think, uh, you know, growing up playing sports, um, when I was, you know, very young, it was Pop Warner football and that turned into, uh, high school football. But, but in my sophomore year, I started wrestling year round and that was kind of what I excelled at. 
And uh, after my, well, my junior season, I went to the California state meet. So I kind of had big expectations for my senior year and some interest from colleges. And I started having issues. Uh, uh, I guess it was more or less nerve issues in my arms, my legs. And my folks took me to a few different doctors. Each one of them, you know, gave me a different reason what, you know, what was going on and why it was going on. Uh, but in the end, they all thought that contact sports probably weren't the best thing for me. Um, seeing that the trauma, uh, that I had some sort of neck trauma. So my parents were like, you're done. You, you're, you can't wrestle anymore. It's, it's too dangerous. We don't want you to get hurt. And I had been working in a restaurant and to pass the time, I started working in the restaurant more, almost to the point where my grades really started to suffer. But I was really enamored in what, I don't know, what I saw in the restaurant, what I felt in the restaurant. And the only way I can explain it really is it's, it was very much like an episode out of uh, something that you might find in an Anthony Bourdain book. Um, you know, when you're 16 and everything you're seeing, was it was a very exciting place. Um, so when the time came for college, I had told my folks, I had mailed in all my college applications, which I actually never did, and had just uh, had sent a letter to the California Culinary Academy in San Francisco stating that I wanted to attend their school. And that was it. Um, and I think my folks, they were okay with that because uh, they were quite supportive um, in you know, making sure that I, I was happy and just wanted to do whatever it is I wanted to do. However, it was, it was a tougher sell to my grandparents. Um, and then they're just coming from such a different... different. Age. Yes, very uh, typical. Typical Jewish grandparents wanted to know I didn't want to be a uh, be a doctor. Um, well, they didn't understand the like the the profession of being a chef. Um, but uh, but I told them, you know, this, it was what I wanted to do. And you know, from a young age, I was I was a little heavier, and I always enjoyed being around the the kitchen. I don't know if it was uh, the emotion to food or I ate emotionally, um, but I just I always found myself in the kitchen and eating. And so from that, you know, even prior to, to cooking in a restaurant, you know, I always wanted to help with the family dinner um, or breakfast on the weekends or whatever it so was. So there were like, there were all these signs that this was a natural pairing for you, like flow. We had talked about that, yeah. like how you guys landed this amazing home, how it just kind of all flew, like was flow, right? There's no real reason why you should have been put to the top of the list and said, hey, you guys can get this house. And it's, you know, for some of us, it's like there's something that we've kind of felt and known for a very long time, but you're like on this track to wrestling and, and you had mentioned the word expectation, that you had this expectation. And, and I would assume your parents kind of had this expectation too. I mean, being supportive, they're just like, okay, this, is, this seems like a pretty good route for him to go. And so you're working in this restaurant and the restaurant's just kind of like magical. You're really vibing with the energy there and do you feel like that was really um more powerful than any kind of pain of letting go of being a wrestler or being injured or you know do you remember any of like the doubt because having like nerve issues like through the neck and the arms that can be like a scary diagnosis especially so young in your age yeah I think I think my parents were probably more uh, I would say if we were going to use the word scared, they were probably more, were more concerned. Whereas, you know, I was 
17 years old, I just, ah, well, it is what it is. And, and sure, I think looking back on it, there was some sort of depression, but you know, that just kind of the, the restaurant became my outlet and yeah, it became your focus and, and it was yeah. a focus and, and growing up, um, you know, in more disciplined sports such as football and, and definitely wrestling, um, you know, the hard work and, and the desire to, to succeed, again, that just kind of fueled what I was doing at the restaurant. Yeah. And so the, in the restaurant industry, you, you pretty much have to start at the bottom, right? If, for most people to get to the top. That's where I started, you know, in the yeah. back, like, because I didn't want to be in the front. I was doing dishes or doing prep work. Di- and- dish, yes, absolutely. You start, you start at the bottom. And, um, Is that yeah, where you started? I, yeah. I, well, you know, I actually started as a busboy. And uh, the gentleman who owned the restaurant, who later uh, went on to become a mentor, um, he got upset the day I came in because I had dyed my hair red. And the options were to go home and dye my hair back or to start washing dishes. And I opted to wash dishes because I wanted to keep the red hair. And that was kind of how the kitchen journey began. It's perfect. And um, yeah, and I think in addition to seeing all these things going on, again, the restaurant was a very exciting place at the time. Um, I think all the things that I liked in school, uh, I took a drafting class. Um, I really enjoyed science. Uh, not so much, not so much like reading and, and writing, but but science, like you know, data driven stuff and the drafting and uh, art. I really could, I think, early on see how cooking kind of encompassed all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and for triathlon too, like yeah. loving all that data and things like that. And it seems like, well, it doesn't seem like it is the way that you've gone. You've done, you've got that will to do things your way but you're open to the learning process. So it's not my way or the highway. There was a negotiation basically and started with the red hair, like, okay, I'm going to keep the red hair, but I'm going to work in the back. So you've got that flexibility. You're not just all or not like you're not, this is the way it is, but that was planted inside of you because now you've been able to just take a restaurant concept yourself and build this your way. And the training is probably follow along that same path where you've done things your way enough, but you've seeked, sought advice or maybe some, some, you know, coaching or whatever, but you've always had that curious aspect, keeping the mind open just a little. Yeah, bit. there's, I'm definitely more rigid than flexible, Okay, but, but there is that, that little bit. And, um, you know, I think coming full circle to the triathlon, that was kind of, I had to let go early on to like understand to going from, you know, what I knew as an athlete of growing up, you know, like I said, football, wrestling, go, 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 hard, hard, hard to triathlon where it's endurance training is quite different. Yeah. So how do you grasp the concept of letting go? Because that's a huge one, not just for athletes, but for humans in general. I think what is what has really helped me was, was a failure. Um, and that was uh, my, my second restaurant. I actually opened a restaurant when I was 22. Um, my first restaurant in, in down in Carlsbad. And then I moved to Los Angeles and at 26, I opened my second restaurant. And when I opened the restaurant, I didn't, I did it without a business partner. So I wore many hats. And after almost five years, I was very burnt out between the cooking and the bookkeeping and playing host and, and doing all of these jobs. 
um, you know, as a, as a way to cut loose, I started going out more and paying less attention to what I was doing at work and just more on trying to, you know, just trying to decompress. And from that, the business really suffered and I ultimately closed it. And from then on, you know, I, I essentially lost everything. And so losing, once you lose everything, it's, you've, you've, you've let go. <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah. You've essentially let go. And, um, totally. and I, and I had to start, start from scratch. And so I think now as I've kind of, you know, moved ahead in life, that's, I kind of go back to that situation and that experience and realize that, um, you know, there's, there's worse things. And how, what, go. How, how did you pick yourself? How did you pick yourself up from that? That, that was a long, that was a long process. I, I think for a long time, I didn't realize I was, I was depressed and it kind of circled back to just the same thing as when I couldn't wrestle any longer. Um, obviously a different circumstance, you know, yeah, I'm going through life, not realizing uh, how, what state of mind I was really in. I think, you know, you try to kind of push this stuff down and move forward. Um, and it wasn't until I met my wife or when we first started dating that she recognized like you've suffered this loss. I think you're depressed. Like let's, let's talk about it. And then, you know, from there real, you know, going back and kind of working through that. You know, the essence of, of that wrestling thing and then the failure of the restaurant and it's all like the essence of it will continue to show up right yeah. until we get to the other side of it. And so it took a failure, you know, it took, for BJ and I, it took being brought to our knees financially, which I'm sure was a part of that process for you. And it's almost like in those moments, you're just like, oh, like those rock bottom moments. It's almost like you can kind of exhale there because you realize like there is nothing I can do to change this situation. So how can I move forward? And you have a very strong will um, as a wrestler, you have to have a strong will. You've got to be disciplined. You opened your first restaurant at 22. And so the, de the, the depression piece of it, and then also it sounds like it was being fueled by a not so healthy lifestyle. And from having fitness in the past and being that disciplined athlete to now having a failed business, feeling depressed, whether you, if you realized it or not, and then, you know, not feeling healthy, what's, what's the wake up call? Well, I think it was, it was exactly that one day it just clicked one day, one day I, I realized I didn't want to feel that way anymore and I needed to do something different. And that's how, for me, that's all it was, was, was one day just realizing I don't want to feel this way. I want to be in a better place. What can I do? Whatever it is, what can I do to get there? So what was the first step? Uh, exercise. That was, I had gone, I had a, I kind of had to regress. I had to go all the way backwards. What were the things I was doing in life when I was the most successful or the most happy? And exercise was a big part of it. Surfing was a big part of it. And I actually started gardening. So I had kind of gone all the way back to the beginning. So like where the gardening, literally getting seeds, you know, and then this was at a time where I didn't even know if I wanted to cook anymore, something I'd done my whole life. So, but going back to the beginning, planting seeds, watching something grow, and really was exactly what I was doing with myself. 
what did you get into? I mean, it wasn't triathlon at that point, right? No, no. Um, so there had been some weight gain, uh, just due to diet. Uh, did you just fall into the restaurant lifestyle? Cause yeah. both BJ and I have that background. So yeah. I know like going out at midnight, one o'clock in the oh, morning. Oh yeah. It doesn't stop at 11 o'clock or 10 and 30 when the restaurant no, closes. It goes. No, yes. That's when it starts. It's, That's when it's, yeah. It was very much, uh, at my worst, uh, actually prior to the restaurant closing, um, I would probably go out after work for drinks five, at least five nights a week. Um, and those five nights would end at some sort of fast food restaurant. Um, and then not eat all day, work, and then kind of repeat. And then on the day off or the two days off, order pizza, lay around, and just kind of binge. It's tough once you get into it to get out of it. And, uh, you know, so I had found uh, a, a gentleman who went on to become a, a good friend of mine. He had opened a gym and he said, you know, dude, you need to get in shape. And I said, well, I'd love to. I said, I would love to train with you, but I can't pay you. I can't afford to pay you every day. I go, I tell you what, I'll give you a trade at the restaurant. So you come and eat lunch every day, train me for an hour, done. So that was kind of the initial start of, of getting back into a groove. And that was before the restaurant closed? That was, yes, that was prior to the restaurant uh, closing. So I had kind of started this, this program of training, weight training, um, a lot of like, you know, just high intensity weight training, uh, uh, interval running, and I shed some weight and I started to feel better. Cut to once the restaurant closed, you know, some of the weight came back on, but I didn't fall back into the same place I was at going out every single night because I just, I, I don't know, it was a different, it was a different time in my life. Um, so I didn't, I didn't fall all the way back to it, but I was still not healthy. Right. So the weight came off. What else? changed in that period. I don't know what that period of time was from the time that you started training with this guy to the restaurant closing, but as the weight's coming off and you're exercising, you're also releasing chemicals from the brain that are making you feel better. And was that like, when I'm looking at this from like a 10,000 foot view, I'm, I'm seeing that that could be a, a, a pretty powerful piece to allowing you, even though it was huge, even though you kind of fell into that depression, even though you started you know, having that unhealthy lifestyle that it gave you just maybe a little bit more power to get through it? In all honesty, it wasn't, it was not a mental change. It was more seeing the physical change and at least looking good on the outside. So it didn't change the way you, so looking no, good on the outside not, did not make you feel not better first, about yourself. No, not at, not at first. No, uh, it made me, well, mm. it made me feel better in the sense like, okay, I'm looking better right. on the outside. So I must be feeling better. Right. That's a, which, that's a good correlation. However, you can really trick yeah, yourself. Yeah, it's that, that, that wasn't the case. The, the work wasn't done yet. Right. So <laughs> as kind of this cycle, you know, as I was going through this process and, you know, the, the working out prior to the restaurant close, closing, at least kind of it sparked whatever little bit of athlete may have been, been in me, left in me. And so, you know, cut to the restaurant closing and then kind of falling into this, this kind of just this abyss for a little bit, you know, then meeting my wife. And that's kind of when I picked up again, circling back to the same gentleman saying like, hey, I've kind of fallen off. I would love to, all in. 
I want to get, I want to get back, back to where I was. You had to get that restaurant. You had to get that vibration out of your life before you could go all in with the fitness and the health. And yeah. then you're like, now you've got love and. Yeah. Cause there's probably no, I'm just guessing here, but how many people at the restaurant were keeping physical fitness as, as top priority? Yeah. None. Well, and just yeah. the, the vibration of a no restaurant one, that you no had one, to let go of. Yeah. No one, in, no one in my life outside of this one particular gentleman who Similarly, was going through. He was going through the same situation with with a business, just a just a struggling business. So we had it. We were in ways we related on on many levels, and when we kind of both got to this place, I think we were using each other while yeah, he was training me. Yeah. While he was training me, we were able to at least talk about situations or the circumstances we were in, and kind of just get get it get some of the things out that may have been on our mind yeah. so it was it was a really it was a good dynamic of of us to be able to kind of in terms of therapy of working together well it's you know two of the two of the biggest ways to help to really process energy um which is what depression is and you know it's 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 an energy and it shows up as you know chemicals in the brain and nerve firings and all of that but it, everything is just energy and so one is moving the body, which is huge. And two is being in service of somebody. And you guys were in this, like this giving and receiving this law of circulation. And so that's going to keep things moving. It's going to keep, whether you know it or not, the universe is at work here and you guys are now going to keep moving because of the service that you're providing for each other. And you're, you're kind of getting like this way to process by chatting with each other about it as well. So where does it go um, from the restaurant closing? You're in LA at this point. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in Los Angeles. I kind of uh, found my way through different uh, various jobs, um, you know, chef jobs and kind of just working on other people's projects and, and doing what I could. Um, and what are you doing to, for the inner work? This, the, the stuff that was still hanging around, like when you met Jen. Jen, does she go by Jen? Yes. When you met Jen, she's kind of sees this in you. What were some of the things that you were doing to help move that along? I, I think I, it wasn't, and I wasn't doing much. Again, I was just doing the, the, the things on the exterior. And I think her being there to talk and ask me things, you know, questions that no one ever asked me or kind of make suggestions or, you know, being that she's a, a, a strong businesswoman and was also able to identify with, with a situation from, from her past. So, you know, just, just literally the, the little things, there wasn't one grand thing. It was all the little things that kind of helped me. And slowly, I think the love just was really it. When it sounds like you were moving forward, you're moving forward through your relationship with her. You're moving forward through being open to having these conversations. You were moving forward with, okay, I need to get a job. I'm all in with the exercise. And so it's, you know, it's, we can get really, I don't want to say stuck because everything is always in motion. So I believe we're either moving forward or, or we're regressing. We're either progressing or regressing, like living or we're dying. And that moving forward is so potent in our ability to really get to the other side of these things. And through that, we clean up our inner house. Yeah. Because we feel better, right? We have more satisfaction yeah. in our life. And it's like, what are we focusing on? 
Yeah, no, definitely. I was definitely moving forward and it was all, it was all due to the relationship. How'd you meet her? Um, you know, it's funny. I, 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 I dated someone that worked for her and she kind of knew me in passing and I don't think she really cared for me. And, uh, (laughs) she later came, she walked into a, a shop I was working at a little sandwich shop and I had completely, my look was completely different. I had my, my head was shaved and I was no longer wearing the eye makeup that I was wearing when she first met me. And, uh, after a few times in the shop, she saw a buddy of mine sitting there eating and she kind of looked at him and looked at me and realized who I was. And she stood up in the middle of a busy, busy restaurant and yelled across the counter, Jared, is that you? And I just turned around and I was beat red and I said, hi. And she said, why didn't you, why have you never said hi to me? I said, I didn't think you liked me. And it just, it was a, it was a very funny situation. And from there she, um, she said, oh, well, you know, I walk my dog in the park across the street, which is Bubba. And I said, oh, you know, I actually, I had a pit bull that I adopted. And at the time I just got too busy and it was, it was a puppy. I live in a very small place. And so I had passed it on to, uh, to a couple that was looking for a dog. I said, well, I just given my dog away. I would love to walk with you. And, you know, from that, that kind of sparked this relationship was, was with the dog. And she had gotten the dog because the therapist had told her to get a dog to learn to love again, because she was for, for many years, she was focused solely on work and business. And so the dog not only taught her to love, but then, you know, brought us together. Nothing like there's no being that will teach you unconditional love like a dog. And so that, that was a great recommendation. That's a great yeah, story, right? Me. There's more flow. <laughs> looking back, so where you are now, looking back, do you, do you see any opportunities that would have presented themselves that could have pulled you out of that experience quicker? Or if you had the tools? No, you know, I don't... Off the top of my head, yeah. there's nothing... I think I was just surrounding myself with the, with the wrong people and the wrong situations. Yeah. And there was nothing that was at that point. I was only going to go deeper. Okay. Yeah, the restaurant industry. I I worked um, in the hospitality for a hospitality company for twenty years in my former career. So I started in these parking lots. They were they were they did parking lots, but they had nine restaurants. It's like the equivalent of a dishwasher being yeah a dishwasher. dishwasher. I was bottling. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. But I moved my way up into marketing, and then now marketing all these restaurants and some multi unit concept restaurants as well, and the the environment is completely different from like sitting in an office when i and i was doing new media so like website design taking photos social media all that stuff so i got sneak peek into the back end of of things and it brought back experiences that i had when i was first in the restaurant industry of like i think my first job was deveining um shrimp <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know it's yeah it's a very it's a very tough industry. Um, it is certainly the landscape of it has changed. Um, you know, I've been cooking over 20 years and in those 20 years, it has changed dramatically. Um, what I think once was in terms of an environment, what was once probably worse than going into the military. That's, it's not as bad now because people aren't yelling and screaming in the same way. Is that good or bad? I, I don't, I don't know, but it's still a physically demanding job and it's tough. You know, it's, it's, it's just one of those things. It's, it's, you got to want to do it. And, and 
the sad thing is if you really want to do it, there's not a lot of money to be made doing it. Um, you know, and for, for a chef, you're pretty much getting into it for your, your craft. I don't, I don't necessarily always call being a chef. Like a lot of people refer to chefs as artists. I don't see it so much like that because for me, cooking is a learned skill. It's something that you can, you know, it's very repetitive. You can get, become very good at it the longer you do it. Um, I think the art comes in as a chef, it comes in uh, curating a menu and, and essentially the staff and bringing everything together. All the touch points, the yes. entrance, the, the marketing, the actual communication with the guests. Yeah, the, the, experience, the, the experience, the experience, the every that is that is the art. But but as a but as a job, it is it's a learned skill, and it's 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 one of those things. It, it's it's tough, and so yes, um, I don't wish it on anyone. <laughs> and anyone that's ever said to me, "I want to send my kid to culinary school," I said, "Let's let's talk." Yeah, let's talk about that. And do you believe culinary school is something that, you know, is, is mandatory? Absolutely to, to, not. To experience is, is what I've seen. And my brother's a chef and that's, that's how he did. He just, you know, I think I went, I went to culinary school in 1996 and I think at the time for what you got, the value, you know, what you, what you paid, it was, it was, it was okay value. And then I think there was this, the, the, with the, with the, the launch of the food network, and all these cooking shows and then all these people suddenly like i want to be a chef it really turned into a business more than you know these educational institutions Mm -hmm. and you know kind of talk about starting at the bottom you have someone even maybe it was even a career changer that spends all this money to go to culinary school and they're told like you're going to be a chef and then they get out they've paid this huge tuition and then they're making minimum wage and not necessarily washing dishes, but one they're 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 debating the shrimp, and so it's it's tough. You gotta you gotta really want it. Yeah, you I always really suggest it. if it, like a lot of things these days, if you really want to do it, just go get a job doing it and get as much ex- hands-on experience as you can. Yeah, and do your homework outside. I think that's a big frustration I have. Not with uh, not just kitchen, but like restaurant staff in general, even people on the floor, is the lack of of wanting to do homework and be more familiar with products they might be working with or wines they might be serving or whatever it is. Um, you know, it's a lot of just they want to punch in and punch out, and that's. I it. think that's probably the majority, and and having been a server for a while in a very busy, in a very busy place in a, in a tourist community, you know, I was, I've always been like, whatever was in front of me, I gave it a hundred percent. So whether that was, you know, whereas my sister was worked at the same restaurant she'd be going out, like taking a bite of people's food, you know, like, and then bringing it out. I would, you know, I took it very seriously, but I, you know, it was really about the tips and surviving, but there were some career servers there that were still took, there that are actually still there at this particular restaurant who really took it serious. But I don't think that that's the majority of any means no. that, you know, a lot of times front of the house is like a stepping stone to what they really want to do. But yes. And, and more so in Los Angeles, it's very, mm. very transient in Los Angeles. If you know, you go to somewhere in the Midwest where you have people that are, that are career service, it's a totally different thing. Yeah. But, uh, okay. So, so, you're on the fitness, you're coming out of the darkness, now you're in love, Bubba's in the family, and no name comes in before triathlon does, right? Correct. So actually through, through my wife, she said, I know, this, I know this gentleman, 
he's working on this project and they're looking for a chef. And I said, great. Um, I was kind of, I was doing something. I was fine what I was doing. I was cooking for actually a buddy of mine. And, um, but I was just, again, everything that I was doing wasn't really, it was just, wasn't challenging. You. Yeah. It was just, it was just, I was just doing it. Oh, but I feel like so many people stay there. That's, that's where they, they, yes. don't, they can't it's, get out of they don't. the the crutch. I call it the crutch. Right. Yeah. So I go and I meet with this gentleman. He says, look, he says, I want to open this place. doesn't have a name. You know, I would, I would be interested in having you um, do a tasting for me. He said, I've all these chefs that have come to interview for the job. The problem is, is I either their food's good and they can't speak to people. You know, they're, they're socially awkward or their food's horrible. So I'm looking for someone that makes really good food and communicate with people. Um, I said, cool, well, let's do it. So we schedule a tasting and uh, my wife says, well, what are you going to make? I said, you know, I'm going to make fried chicken. She said, what do you mean? You can't make fried chicken for a tasting. You need to do like an elaborate four or five courses. And no, 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 no. I know what, I know what this, I know what this guy's looking for. I go to his place. I make him fried chicken. He's like, you're hired. And it was just realizing in the moment, like you just need to realize what people want. And that was, that's what he wanted. And he's like, the job is yours. You have carte blanche to do whatever you want in the kitchen. But that's you. That was, that's who you are versus doing the four or five course meal. You'd be setting yourself up to be the person who's the, every chef that goes in there has been presenting themselves like to, to make yourself unique, but being yourself, you made that connection with the human being that you were going to be serving to that one-to-one connection. And, And whatever that meal was, was more important than just flowing through. Like, these are my skills. No, it's, it's an experience. Right. Right. And, and I think, at the, you know, I've been cooking long enough to understand, whereas before being that, that very rigid chef, wanting to make it my way, this is how the food's going to be, which a lot of chefs are like that. I, I, as I got older, I really realized that it's an experience and it's, it is the hospitality industry. And, you know, if you eat around Los Angeles enough, you see a lot of these older restaurants with these menus with dishes are named after people. So those are, that was an experience someone had where the chef came out and said, what do you want? And they made a dish and like, you know, miraculously that became their dish. And that was that. And I, I really like that. And so it's like, it feels more of like a co-creation than you just being behind your hard lines. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think a way of, of, of putting out what you want to do, but making it so that the guest enjoys it. Yeah. Cause they have a right to and enjoy that's, it. And that is, I think, uh, again, it's, it's tough for a lot, especially a lot of young chefs. It's not the norm. It's not the norm because they're, <laughs> they want them to, to get the show up is number one, make the meal that is asked for yeah. and then serve it. Yeah. And, de- and deviating from that opens up some, opens up some <laughs> potential for, for some uh, wrong turns. So, and, and so we'll, I'm going to get back yeah. to that point in a second. So uh, essentially the restaurant opened and it was, it was, it was presented to me to do what you like. And I said, okay, well, I, I kind of have this idea. It was, it was very, very much going to feel, had a supper club feel, didn't have a name. And so it was a very organic um, way to open a business. 
the focus was really more on the food, the drinks, and the curation of the programming from, because it, it was, it had been a live music venue. So the now owner, he's an artist management. He wanted to kind of, uh, he wanted to preserve the culture that existed there when it was th the previous space. Um, and so the focus, rather than be on, you know, swinging the doors open and getting as many people in and, and focusing on the monetary aspect, let's create a culture. And so it was a really great way for me to kind of get back into, you know, and be more passionate about what I was doing because it was this organic environment of making food and it was more of like a friends and family vibe of coming and from that it built and built and built. Over, you know, it's been, no name is five years now. Over that time, just my role grew and grew and grew and grew beyond uh, cooking on, on a day-to-day -day and more into the management aspect of the business. But I think that's just a natural trajectory after, after cooking for so many years. In that, somewhere I had free hours and was watching Vice, was watching Munchies, and ran across John Joseph's video. What I took away from it the first time I watched it was not that I wanted to be plant-based. I took away from like, damn, this guy's this guy's 50 years old and he's crushing Ironman races. So I come home and I say, I say you know, Jenna, I want to do a triathlon. And she's like, a try what? I said, uh, well, I need to go to the bike store. She's like, oh God, this is, sounds like another expensive hobby. Um, and at the time I, you know, there was actually, I had gotten rid of the motorcycle, but there was the motorcycles and then, you know, I make soap in the garage and just all these little hobbies I have going on. And so she was like, great, another one. I got interested in a race and kind of started training. And in that I kept kind of circling around, what is the best way to do this? At the time I was 38. Okay, how, how can I do this and really go all in and uh, do it in a way where I'm gonna, you know, not kill myself. And I kept coming back to John's video. I kept watching it and watching it. And then I found, you know, from there, I found Rich and read Finding Ultra. And then I'm like, okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go plant-based. So, I cut something out of my diet each week for the course of five weeks. And by week six, I was eating completely plant-based. And I was, I think in doing it, um, you know, what allowed me to kind of jump in and do all this was I was in a place work-wise where I was be, allowed to be creative. Um, I essentially, I was just in a very supportive environment. So in doing that, I really kind of embraced, started to embrace the diet more and was even more inclined to oblige people's requests at the restaurant, you know? And really, it that helped, I think, I don't know, I wanted, I wanted to improve even, I wanted to improve the experience even further. So once word got out that I was eating more plant-based and there was, and I was, able to cook. Whereas before, if, if someone said, I'm vegan, I said, oh, man, I'm sorry, I don't have anything for you. Now it was like, come to the restaurant. I was, I would love to make something for you. And my kitchen says, what are you doing? Like you've lost your mind. And they gave me a really hard time about it. Everyone was supportive except the kitchen staff. They're like, chef, no. Like, yeah, for you, some reason, <laughs> for like, some reason, it's a, uh, it's off, it's off the norm. It's off there. Yeah. But they have everything there. 
Exactly. Yeah. Through this process, I'm just listening to your words and I, and what just keeps coming up is this, like you're letting go, you're letting go of these hard lines, you're embracing this new diet, you're seeing what's possible. Now the community, which this whole restaurant was about creating culture and community is now wanting some of it and allowing you to create and like you're expanding basically. And through, through expansion, we have to let go of who we think we are. Exactly. And I think in wanting to expand, it's, it's again, it's like about being comfortable. And what I said about being on the crutch is like, yeah, I didn't need to change my diet. I didn't need to do a triathlon because guess what? Like I could go to, could have gone and just kept going to work. Like everything was fine. I go surfing on my days off. I really, you know, I was still working. I was lifting weights when I wanted to go for a jog. And, but then it's like, what isn't, is that it? Is and I think I thought, if I died tomorrow, do I want everyone to remember me for this fried chicken? I was like, no, that sucks. <laughs> well, the fried chicken's good, okay? I haven't eaten in a long time, but I remember it being I very good. I bet, people, it's really good. People, people really enjoy Besides it. Besides the chicken part, I But bet I, really I was good. like, I don't want to be remembered for that. I feel like there's yeah. something bigger that I could be remembered for. Still, I don't know exactly what that is, but I think in, in, in what I was doing, um, you know, physically, um, both from training and, and changing the diet, and then what I was starting to kind of hone in on mentally was maybe I could help people. And that's how, you know, the Instagram started. Because I didn't really, I used to post a picture of food occasionally, and friends would be like, man, that looks great. And then they wouldn't even show up to eat it. So... I just started posting pictures of the training and quickly people really gravitated to that and people I didn't even know. And they found it to be inspiring or they found it like, wow, I'm going to, I'm going to go work out today. And, and I was really, I was really excited by that. So is there a way you can help with your, so your staff now, is it, is there it's, challenges? It's a funny thing because I, I, I look at them every day and I can see them, especially guys that have been with me for, for several years, weight gain. They don't feel as good. They got well, yeah, you're watching it from the outside. Wanna, stomach issues. Like, as, as any new plant-based person does, and I know our friend Daniel is in this zone right yeah. now. Oh, yeah. He, and he's, it's that urge to like shout it from the mountaintops that I feel so good and you should be doing this. But yet that can immediately turn people off. It, it does. And, you know, they, they, again, they still give me a hard time, but they, they, in a weird way, they embrace it to a degree because I started doing my plant-based night. You know, I do it one Sunday a month at the restaurant. It's a night we're closed and I opted to do it on night we're closed so that I didn't want, I didn't want uh, vegans to feel ethical. Like if an ethical vegan came like, oh, well, they're cooking other food. It's like, Hey, we're actually closed. I'm doing this special. So it's, 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 it's guests that are weekly fried chicken eaters because they love the cooking all the way to ethical vegans and everyone in between. And so the staff has slowly started to embrace these Sundays because they realize they're going to happen whether they want to do it or not. But it's kind of from a creative perspective, force them to maybe think outside the box because what I've tried to do is being that it's four courses, I try to get one of them to work on at least one of the four courses and kind of put it in their box and be like, look, this is what I'm thinking. I'm going to, I'm going to put this on you. I'm going to put this dish on you. I want you to work on this. And it, it gets them thinking about it. And then, you know, for a few days after they're like, okay, I'm going to eat healthy. And then they fall off. But at least 
we come back to it every month. And you're, you're, like you said, it's a skill, it's a skill, it's a learned skill that they now have in their toolbox because plant-based is more and more and more. So those requests are going to come in more and more and more. And oh, yeah. I, I, I don't know if you were thinking about um, Stefan and Jules when oh, yeah. Steph, we had um, Jules Foods on our podcast. I don't know if you know those guys. I know Plant I do. And her, yeah, Stephan. no, we, we met um, we met through Instagram. Yeah. And he had told me about the cheese that she was working on. It's really good. And it was probably like a year before they actually made it. And I kept bugging him because at the time, this was... It was almost two years ago. I said, you know, there's not a lot of great stuff out there, but what you're describing to me sounds amazing. And one Sunday night, they showed up at the restaurant for a dinner. Oh, they're so cool. And I said, wow, I go, oh, I didn't know you lived in town. And he said, well, we don't. We drove from San Diego. And I'm like, oh my God. Well, I was was touched. And they brought me two wheels of cheese. So what'd you think about it? I ate them so fast. I know, I crushed them. And I was like, yo, I need more. And he's like... Again, we're trying we're to get, we're that. trying to get yeah. the production up. Yeah. And I'm like, when you do, man, I need give me just give me a steady flow because as a product, um, and you know, I'm in a position where I'm always sampling things and seeking out and sourcing ingredients, especially you know, plant obviously now plant ingredients. It's I was really really impressed. Yeah, it's it's legitimate. And I was a like big brie. I was a big cheese eater. Me <laughs> big. Too. Huge brie, goat cheese, smoked gouda, like bring it. I mean, that's that was a big investment. Was like the best of the best kind of cheese. Manchego, oh, I used to dream about it. But uh, when we had those guys on the podcast, because they have an amazing story, Stefan was saying like when he finally went plant based, he was like, I just felt like I owed a lot of people apologies because he's like, as a chef, I would get so angry, you know, when they wanted the. Did you yeah, have that too? I was too? the same. Very when people were trying to. Yeah, what was happening is the, the universe. The universe is trying to rattle your hard lines a little bit, and maybe you fought back a little bit. Oh, I fought. I fought. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? And it's funny because when I met Jen, she was vegetarian, and. We, we, we went out on one of our first dates and we went to, um, it's, it's called Pacific dining car. It's like an old steakhouse. It's open 24 hours and in, um, they don't offer a hamburger on their dinner menu. They, they offer a hamburger steak, which I always thought was amazing, but it was the middle of the afternoon. And I pleaded with the gentleman cause it was like in between hours. I said, listen, I need a burger bun like rare. Can you please do it? And he's like, oh, let me ask the chef. Comes back. He's like, yeah, we'll accommodate you. So the burger comes and I cut it in half. It's dripping blood. And Jen's like, that looks amazing. And I'm like, I thought you were a vegetarian. She's like, I am. Can I have a bite? And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want to be responsible. If you take a bite of this and tell me in five minutes, you don't feel well. She's like, no, no, that looks too good to pass up. She ends up eating half my burger. Now, while I was, you know, working out and, you know, it was into the fitness. I still had a weakness every Saturday night. I would go, go to Wendy's and get a cheeseburger. So, you know, we're now dating a, a couple of weeks and she's like, Hey, can you give me one of those cheeseburgers you get every Saturday? I'm like, what? So she went from being vegetarian to eating the way I ate. And, went, and my way of eating was very rich, chef oriented, binge, binge, binge. Um, she acclimated to my diet 
And then she's like, I don't, I'm like, I'm not feeling good. And I'm like, well, I never feel good. Like, I just call it, like, I, like, I call it fine dining stomach. Like you just always I never in, feel good. In, indigestion, you know, you're just like, your stomach's always upset. And, you know, I thought, I just always thought that it was normal. That was normal. That was the norm. That was yeah. normal. And then when I came home and said, great, we're going to go plant-based. She's like, oh my God, with you and your, we went, she took me from vegetarian to the omnivore and beyond. I'm going to take away that. And now we're going back. She's like, oh, I, can't, I can't, I don't know if I can give up the cheese now. And I'm like, you you got to. And so she was a little resistant, but you know, um, she, we got her back on the program and, but, but all those things, they, they went away and I, my Quick. Quickly. Quickly, my mm. sinuses, my stomach, um, it, my, my snoring, like things just kind of cleared up. And I've never, ever in the last three and a half years had the feeling that I've had. I relate it to a hangover. When you wake up and you're just like, you're so hungover. That's why I used to be in a food coma. And we both generally would have Sunday nights off. So that was our night to go out together. And I'm talking like steak dinner, shrimp cocktail, blue uh wedge salad and that was just that was dinner because prior to that we were somewhere else doing a late lunch and then by sunday night i'd be on the bed just rolling in agony of just that that the heartburn and the and just like the acid and like uh, and so people say oh you don't you miss like whatever don't you miss eating that that steak or don't you and i'm like like maybe there's an emotion that the like food evokes that I might miss, but I don't miss this, the the aftermath. And that's why I always try to tell my tell my staff now when I see them, like, you know, like, I don't feel good today. I'm like, yeah, because what did you go for lunch and what did you eat? Right. Yeah, it's, it, that connection is rarely made. That connection of this food. I'm actually I'm purposefully reaching for this food. Like, I'm, it's an intentional move. I'm putting this in my mouth. It goes in my body, and 20 minutes later, I feel like. Crap. Yeah. It should be medicine. Food food can be medicine. Yeah. Versus doing that same thing, eating the food and then feeling amazing and, and having vibrancy and energy and, and clarity and all the good things that come from like all these plant foods that go in your body. Now, don't get me wrong. Like we have overeaten. We, there's a place in San Diego in Little Italy called Civico 1845 and they have a full vegan menu and it's pretty legitimate. It's like mushroom calamari and all this stuff. And I ate a whole thing of mushroom calamari and I never eat fried food. I felt so sick. That was on your birthday. Yeah, there, yeah you still have to balance it. Yeah, you there's, still have, there's, like, there's oh. plenty of vegan food that's not that's not good. But, you know, I used to think all this was hippie mumbo jumbo. It's, of course. It's just yeah. food. I'm like, it's this is... This is BS. Like this, like these people, like free. And I'm a believer because I, I took the time, I experienced it. And actually after I did my first race, which was just a local Olympic distance, the staff asked me, they're like, are you chef? Are you done? Are you going back? And I'm like, well, I signed up for another race and I feel really good. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep with it. Cause they said, well, is this forever? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I really don't know. Like, is there a forever vegan? I'm like, I don't know. All I know is I feel good. And so I want to keep with it. Now it's been three and a half years. I feel amazing. I know. It's, yeah. I mean, but I, you have, you can, people can listen to us all day, you know, just like we used to listen to Rich and, and Brendan and, and all those guys, which really were our entry into it, right? For us, it was performance. I wanted to recover better. I wanted to experience these things, but I, I had to take that, that leap. I had to say, I'm going to live and survive without cheese on this one meal and then take it to the next meal. 
but it's like you have to have that experience for yourself because you do you do feel better even if you think that you're healthy I couldn't believe that I could feel better. I thought we, I didn't thought think we were I healthy. felt that. I thought it was healthy. I thought like allergies and sinus yeah. and waking up in a pool of phlegm. I thought that was all normal. <laughs> I thought everybody woke up in a pool of, of phlegm, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> and the health, the, the belief system that you have of what's healthy and what actually is healthy is that I was eating pasta. I think I was buying from Stop and Shop a cr- like a big box from the back of just pasta and I would have pasta every night. And I'm not, not saying pasta isn't bad. I'm, a, I'm an endurance athlete so I love pasta. But you don't have to have it every night. Yeah. And it's and it's just that that mentality that what you're doing is healthy and if you can make that connection like we were saying, if you just make that connection with how you feel. Just I be awake, like awake to the awake, choices awake that you're making. Ready. Yeah. Will be will be really helpful for the world. So, you do your Olympic, where does Ironman come in? Yeah, my my first season, I did three Olympic distance, and and towards the about and it was the summer. The coach I was working with, I said, you know, I think I would really love to do a half Ironman. I said, what do you think the timeline on something like that is? And he's well, like, you know, it's it's the summer. He goes, you know, you can register for Cabo. It's one of the last races of the season, and I think you would be ready for it. Cool. So. I registered for the race and kind of pitched it to Jen as as a vacation as well. And that's generally the best way to kind of tell your wife is like, hey, we're going to go on a vacation. Oh, really? Where? Well, there's a race. So then now she knows that, that every vacation is sort of is going to be around a race. But that's how I convinced her that we're going to go on this trip. It was uh, a vacation. And I went, I did it. And I thought going into it, like the Olympic distance, the first one was was, you know, my first time was... 200, actually 50 meters into the swim, I was like, what the hell did I get myself into? And, you know, I was getting kicked. I was gasping for air, um, but I got through it and I had a really good time. And, um, you know, as much as Jen had already said, I don't know, this seems like a really bad spectator sport. Cause she said, well, when do, will I see you? And I'm like, oh, when I come across the finish line, um, and she was there at the end and she was really stoked and taking pictures. And I'm like, okay, this this could be cool. And yeah, so I, I'm thinking like half Ironman. Okay. I can do this is, this is, this is within my reach, but it was Cabo and it was hot and I'm out there. I got through the bike and, you know, I'm thinking Cabo, you know, okay, it's, it's relatively flat, but you know, there's these two climbs in Cabo and it's, it's on like fresh toll road where the asphalt is, it's brand new asphalt. So it just like radiates heat. I'm like, Oh my God, is my brain going to melt? And then I, I, I got through it and I'm thinking, man, I don't know. Iron Man, that seems, cause I, I, you, you kind of, I didn't, that is not the time to be thinking about I don't want to, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to say I underestimated the course, but I just going into it, it was my first time. So you really don't know like, what's it going to be like? And I got done and I'm like, Oh my God. Cause you don't know what it's going to feel like. You yeah. can do the calculations and yeah, say, yeah, I, I can like, do this. That kicked and you my shouldn't ass. actually be doing it in training, the full distance and when yeah. training low. So yeah. this is absolutely the, the first time you're experiencing yeah, 100%. it. Yeah. it all together. Um, and I actually, it was the first time I ran a half marathon was in my first 70.3. So I'm like, this thing just crushed me. But I took, took the two week, two weeks off, you know, no. And we spent a, we spent a week after in Cabo. So I, I came home, I felt refreshed. And, and again, I, I, I asked the coach, I said, I want to do an Ironman next year. And he's like, great, let's pick a race. And so I had picked Santa Rosa, which was uh, 2017 
And so I did Oceanside and then uh, kind of warmed up with Oceanside and then did Santa Rosa. And, and I don't know, something about that day, somewhere on the run course, I just was like, man, this is really cool. Like the, the, the energy and what I was experiencing was while I had done the 270.3s, like suddenly this Ironman just, I don't know if it was because I was on the run and I, I had the, the realization like, okay, at this point, I know I'm going to finish. I don't know exactly what it was, but it was just like this, this moment, this aha moment. I'm like, I want to be doing this. It's special to go that long. Yeah, it really is. And there's something about that mar- that marathon that is that run, I should say the run portion of that triathlon that is unlike any other distance triathlon, you know, prior to leading up to the Ironman. There's something really special about it. And it's not just double a half Ironman. It's so much more. Yeah, it was, man, it was, it was a great experience. And the funny thing was, is on the run course, I had people that had, because it was multiple loops. So you don't know who's on what lap. You're just kind of out there and everyone's just kind of doing their thing. And I had people that would pass by me or come up or I'd pass them or be like, Hey, I follow you on Instagram. And, And so this was kind of the first time this had started to happen. And so I finished the race Jen's crying. She's like, you're okay. She's more worried about me. And I'm like, I'm more worried about, I'm like, why are you crying? She's like, you just did Iron Man. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm fine. You're okay. You've been standing here all day. Like, she's like, oh my, you've been running all day. I'm like, I'm fine. So I go and uh, I get some, I'm like, I just need water and I need, I need some, something to eat. So I go in the tent with all the food and I, I get a whole plate of, uh, they're serving pizza on one side. And I'm like, no. And then there's a whole this all this fruit. I'm like, this looks amazing. So I got a plate of grapes and watermelon. I'm like, yeah, it's like the be- tastes like the best thing I've ever had in my life. And I'm standing there, and people start to walk up to me, and they're like, hey man, can I get a picture with you? They're like, you're that chef, right? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, do I know you? They're like, no, I, but I follow you on Instagram. So Jen's kind of standing back because she's typically the one in our household that people know her. Um, She's like, what the hell is going on? I'm like, I don't know. They're fans. She's like, you have fans? I'm like, I guess so. And so (laughs) I was like, take picture with all these people. And I was like, man, that's really cool. And they're like, you've inspired. I'm like, dude, you were like two hours ahead of me. They're like, but you're inspiring. And I'm like, cool. And so again, after the race, like on the course, I kind of had this moment. And then after the race, I kind of had this moment where like, wow, I'm like, I impacted other people's lives. And I don't know, I came home and just decided like this wasn't because when you, I think when you first start doing triathlon and especially maybe you sign up for an Ironman, there's, there's so many reasons why you might be doing it. And I didn't know where it was going to go. I didn't know. I don't want to say I was thinking it was a bucket list thing, but I didn't know if I was going to go back and do it. And so going into it, you know, you know, you just go and do it. And then afterwards it was like, I really had that moment of like clarity of, uh, I really enjoy this. I enjoy the training. I enjoy the lifestyle. Um, I definitely don't, I feel like I don't fall into the typical, like when I show up to a race, like I, I don't know, people are looking at me. I'm like looking at them. I'm like, I don't fit the typical triathlete mold. Um, and I think because I was able to, or at least I think be, I'm thinking beyond like Ironman. I'm thinking like now, just like I did when I took the job from, you know, going to no name, like having this new experience, where can this take me? 
Or what can I get out of this? And how far can I go with it? I mean, I tell everyone, I'm like, I'm not the fastest person out there, but I don't, it's not my intention to be the fastest person out there. Someone, someone had, it's funny, some, someone made a comment that said, uh, he said, uh, oh, if it, your picture you took today, it looks like you weren't training hard enough. He's like, you should train hard. Or if you have time to set up for a shot. So I, I go on his page and I'm looking and he's posting <laughs> pictures of like something like trans. It said like hashtag transformation Tuesday. Yeah. I was never fat. And I'm like, <laughs> Dude, dude, you're, you're missing the point, man. Yeah, I, and so, so I just simply responded to him like, and I told him that I'm like, I go, number one, you don't know why I'm participating in, in triathlon. I was like, you have no idea. You have no idea. I go, number two, I go, I don't like, I am training appropriately for what I want to achieve. And I said, if you don't want to follow me, you don't have to. And he quickly unfollowed me. And I was like, later. There you go. <laughs> um, you got you to gotta drop that low vibe. But yeah, I, I tell everyone, I'm not the fastest guy out there, but I try to, I try to look the best. Um, yeah. well, I try to, I try to <laughs> and have fun. Because if you're not having fun. Then why are you doing it? Yeah. Why like, are you doing it? Like, like, I'll go back to, to Boulder where, you know, we had our moment where we met on the run path. I'm, yeah. I'm walking along and I'm like, I'm just crushed. Like, I am crushed. I went out too hard on the bike. The, the, you were not the only one. The, the elevation definitely, the altitude really got me. And there was a point where I looked around and I'm like, and everyone's crushed. And, you know, you come running. I hear chef. Someone just says chef behind me. And then... He passed it and then I see him stop ahead and like look up and like he had this, like he was channeling some energy and then he took off again. I'm like, Was that BJ? Yeah. I'm like, and he had the white glasses on. I'm like, I know him. Well, I was doing the same thing to you when I was trying to catch him. And he just, and then I'm like, man, that guy, I was just starting the second lap. He was finishing and yeah, that guy's good. I like that. Yeah. But when I was approaching you, like, I, to, to your point of it's much more than just how fast you are. There was a, I knew you, like there was a comfort, there was a yeah. moment of comfort. Like, oh, this guy's out here with me. I know this guy, I'm going to yeah. say hi. Like that moment in that heat and in that dryness of that race, it was just, it was super cool. And the only way I think I recognized you was the love, love the pain yeah, and uh, the tats. And I was like that, I know that guy in the beard. Like, But even though you kind of went by and you, whatever, channeled that energy and you kept going, like, you were crushed at the finish. You got taken out in a wheelchair. He was like half a lot, maybe a quarter of the way alive. Yeah. So it doesn't mean like we're all, that's what I love about triathlon too, especially Ironman is everybody's, everybody is full of sensation in their body. But you can still have those moments of comfort yeah. and connection. It doesn't have to be long. I think yeah. that, that was like, what, 10 seconds, 15 yeah. seconds? Yeah. And I, and I yeah. love the way that you described like the kind of the unfolding of how Santa Rosa happened and afterwards and having these people come up to you and you realizing like, oh my gosh, like there's a little bit of this, my words, not yours, like this service aspect to it. And in service, we, we feel purposeful. It, it gives us purpose. And so there's, you know... There's people that will say to me, or maybe they listen and they go, I don't know what my purpose is. They have this whole freaking show on purpose. Like, what's my purpose? And I think that you find your purpose. There's purpose in every moment. And it doesn't have to be something that's grandiose on paper. It could just be, you know, preparing your child's lunch or feeding the dog. Be purposeful with it. But I think larger experiences expansive feelings of purpose come from exactly what you've done your whole life that I've learned through this conversation is just taking the next step 
and following the things that call you. And then you watch that there's this bigger unfolding that happens. You're taking the step, but you're always looking forward to yeah. like what, what's possible here. And that's, that's an abundance mindset. And that's when everybody benefits from that. And so having that mindset is, a, is benefiting other people because you're putting that like, okay, how can we, how can we make this awesome? How can we, you know, what, can, what are the possibilities here? And Iron Man's all about what those possibilities are. And I always tell people too, because the, probably the biggest question I get asked is like, well, how can, how can I do this or how can I get started? And I always tell people, just sign up for a race. It doesn't have to be a long race. It doesn't have to be a triathlon. It could be a 5K. But if you don't sign up for something, if you don't commit to something, you're never going to take the step. So you love the data and the information. And triathlon, you can get so much data and information. But you know now that anything can happen on race day. And you've got to have this flexibility. You've got to have this letting go, which your career has prepared you for. But what is, have you, what is that dynamic for you with the data and the information and being flexible in, on a race day, something as big as Ironman? Well, I think now after doing three Ironman races, um, going into these next races, those were really just, they were learning experiences and taking them as learning experiences and really realizing regard regardless of what the data is and where I may be fitness wise, there's so many other factors that will play in. And I think it's being able to recognize what's going on around you that day. And, you know, I think like, you know, moving up here and really hiking and, and just being outside more and getting that connection to the nature and tuning into all the things outside of your body has I'm now able to make a better decision of how I can perform or how I can go. Yeah, that's huge. And the connection that we get to nature gives us security in, in, um, in feeling grounded. And when we feel in that security, we have more trust. We have more trust in our decisions. We have more trust in, you know, what's going to unfold. And in the, in that same experience and, and what you're talking about, you, I just wanted to highlight, not highlight, I wanted to mention leading into Arizona, you had a big challenge with your yes, uh, I, shoulder. I, and I had a bike crash. You had a bike crash. It was close. Like what was the time frame? Eight weeks. Eight weeks. So That's I, close. I separated my shoulder. And so my now coach, I, I said, listen, I, don't, I, I, I can't even lift my, my arms in a sling. And he said, I tell you what, why don't, each day, I'll give you a workout, you know, uh, just on the bike trainer. Just do the workout, and each day at the end of the day, tell me how you feel, and let's keep training. And if it comes to the race day and you don't feel up to racing, I, I get it. But I, I think, you know, why throw, you've put in all this work, why throw all that away if you don't know in eight weeks how you're going to feel? And so, the first week was a bit challenging because I sat on my trainer with my arm in a sling and literally just, I mean, barely pedaled, like barely pedaled. Um, and that's all I could do. And what's going on? What's the, what's the space upstairs? Like, what is the doubt? What is, is doubt uh, creeping wasn't in? Doubt. It was more like this. It was just more like this sucks. Like it just, this sucks. Like, what am I, I think like, what am I doing this for? But then I said, you know, let's, I'll just do it. And then by week two, um, I was kind of, thinking I could run, 
but that didn't, it didn't feel good. It just did not feel good. So right back on the bike trainer, another week on the bike trainer. And so I took four weeks off completely from swimming. I just couldn't swim. I didn't have the range of motion and it, it, it hurt. So that was where a little doubt came in thinking like, man, I haven't, I'm not going to swim for, you know, four weeks and then going to an Ironman race. Like I can see like a 70.3, like 1.2 mile swim, like cool, no problem. But then I'm thinking like Ironman race, it's a longer swim, a lot of people, how's this going to unfold? And I think being able four weeks out, being able to get back into the pool, I was still able. So by week two, I was able to run. Um, I was able to do all my other training with four weeks to go. I got back in the pool and I could kind of swim. I was swimming with a buoy, um, which kind of, kind of just helped me a little bit. Um, and it didn't have full range of motion, but I could swim without pain. So I figured, you know what, if I have to doggy paddle, I'll doggy paddle because I know doggy paddling, I could still make the cutoff. So I think at that, that's the moment I knew, okay, I'm going to race no matter what. And to be honest, I ended up having my best Ironman swim by like a couple minutes. 20 something. One, yeah, right. 121, 122. Yeah. And that's you probably had no expectations. I, and that's, that's it. And I think what also has helped me working. Uh, so I started training with Chris Howth. So Rich's coach mm-hmm. and Chris helped change, I think my mindset and my, my perspective on training, on race, just on the whole sport, which is why I made a change. It was just not that there was anything wrong with my previous coach. I just, I just, after doing it for a couple of years, it was, it was also new to me. I just wanted a different perspective. So I kind of went into the day with a different expectation and a different, um, I don't know, just, just more, more calm. That's, that's and, a different perspective. That's and, the way to go uh, into approach. a race. And More so, calm. Yeah, yeah. So whereas since I've, since I started Ironman, like I kind of had just where I'm at swimming, I don't have a swim background. So I've always said like, okay, like 120 is an average Ironman swim. Like I want to swim a 120. That's kind of been like a goal of mine. So taking that away and going into the swim and the swim start for Arizona was, it was very, I don't want to say the chaotic, but you know, they, they made this re- really narrow shoot. And so what happened was everyone who was trying to seed up couldn't move up. It was almost, I thought, I thought there was going to be a fight because like a kind of like started getting almost like a scrum where the guys that wanted to move up, the more aggressive people, they're like, I can't move up. And I kind of was in that moment. I was like, man, I need to move up. But then I realized I looked around, everyone that was around me was going to swim my speed. So it didn't matter that we were behind people that were, you know, two hour swimmers. It didn't really matter. And so, so I you said, can like get worked up about it. Yeah. So these, I mean, and everyone was, I, it was incredible how angry everyone was getting. Everyone was yeah. freaking out. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to go with it. And so coming down the ramp, I kind of, I kind of looked at the, at the buoys and looked where everyone was swimming. And I'm like, okay, I know what I'm going to do. And I jumped in the water and I actually swam to the outside of everyone. And I looped around all the slower swimmers and then just took a straight line. And I feel like growing up surfing, um, I got scuba certified when I was 12. I'm very comfortable in open water and I swim open water a lot. A lot of people, primarily pool, pool swimmers. So I feel like my sighting's really good. And so I was actually able, the arm felt okay. But I, but I eased into the day. So after I swam around everyone, rather than going out, which is what I've, I've been doing, 
going out and then fading really hard, I built into the day. And I just concentrate on my breathing and my stroke. And I'm <laughs> like, is... wow, this is really easy. I'm like, huh, oh, this water tastes horrible, but you know what? It is Everybody's what it is. It is what it is. Right. And 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 what I really realized was happening is every thousand yards or so, I was I was moving through another pack of people. And then when when I made the final buoy turn, I saw everyone swimming this direction. And I'm like, what the hell? People were just because the, hugging the, the against the concrete yeah. wall, and so they're adding on. I don't know how how many yards, but I made a hard hard ninety degree turn, and I'm swimming straight at a buoy, and so I actually swam, and then they had to come all the way back around. So I I I literally the guy in the kayak just going along with me, and I'm like looking around. And there was one other dude with me, and I'm like, this is great. And for the first time in since doing an Ironman race, I was able to then pick up the speed to the last buoy and get out of the water. And I got out and my arm felt great. And I knew at that moment, like today's going to be a decent day, you know? Yeah. And so I kind of went into it. Yeah. With a whole different set of expectations and really built through the day. And the arm actually ended up bothering me more so on the run, just out of fatigue, you know, kind of started to, it was a little spaghetti like and, and, and dangle there. Um, <laughs> And it kind of, it really, it really impacted me in the back half of the run, but I learned a lot, you know, I learned a lot for the next race. What'd you learn? What, what's, what's something that you're going to take away for the next race? Well, definitely building into the day. Yeah. That is a big one. That that's seems, a, that's a really, not, really big concept because. I mean, it's the base, but build, so many people yeah. don't get it. They're rested. They feel great. And they're like, you know I've never felt this good. I'm going, I'm going for it where they've never yeah. done that before. Building into the day staying steady on the bike and staying, you know, true to myself and true to my fitness and not, because it's, it's so easy, you know, especially on a, on a course like that, that's flat people riding really hard. And what's funny is all these people that passed me on the bike five miles into the run, I ran right past them. Of course you did. And so really, and again, um, thanks to Chris, really setting up, really realizing that Iron Man is about setting yourself up for a run. And that's all it is. Yeah. Like at mile, like mile 18 of the run, then go unleash it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's exactly, you want to build into the day because, you know, regardless of what your opinion of Iron Man might be, like you can't deny putting those distances and those three disciplines together is a tough day. Yeah. It's a tough day and it's going to come with a lot of sensation and there's going to be a lot of challenges along that journey to get there. What do you feel about, you had this experience where you were calm and you saw all these people around you expending like this kind of angry energy, which is really just like leakage, call it energy leakage. What did you take away from that power of being calm as opposed to going into the anger. Well, I think, I think you nailed it. It was just that knowing that there was no reason to expend the energy and too often in life, we just get, so we get worked up. It's funny because the, the, the staff of the restaurant talks about this because, because a lot of them know me pre triathlon and now, and my temperament has changed. But I tell people, if you go out and train, two to four hours a day, you're, you're not going to be angry. Like you're going to let, you're going to let it all go. And you're going to be able to go through your day in, in such a better place. And I think I've quickly realized just like being able to realize whether it was on the bike and getting caught up in the moment and, and going faster, trying to, trying to keep up with someone, just realizing like 
this is this is a long day. Like there's no there's no reason. And if I get worked up right now, the day is gonna go sour really quickly. So what's next? Santa Rosa again. Ironman Santa Rosa. So we got that in May. Uh, Ironman Mont Tremblant. And then uh, I'm going to run my first 50K in the fall. Nice. Where's so that going to be? I'm going to do the Rocky Peaks because it was local. Seems easy. I'm all about... Seems easy. No, I mean, it seems... I'm talking <laughs> not the race. I'm just logistically. If it's something I could jump in the car and drive to, that's easy. Yeah. If it's packing up, and traveling, actually, it's funny because Jen and I had never spent more than a few hours in the car together. So I did Santa Rosa this past fall, and the drive from here to there is six hours, and we survived it. So I, I told her, I said, pretty much six to seven hour range, we're good. I go, beyond that, we're flying. <laughs> we were six months in a car together. <laughs> that little one that that's in your driveway. Yeah. Awesome. And people can get, uh, follow you and get a hold of you on Instagram. Instagram is my only, uh, social media. It's a good, it's a good one your, to choose. What's your handle? Uh, Jared Simons underscore chef. All right. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you, Thank Thank you for you. sharing your story. Absolutely. Thank you for giving all that great insight. It's like to, uh, to finally connect with you in, in the physical. Likewise. Likewise.